Just a friendly reminder that if you wish to support the ministries of this podcast or of the local church in which I serve, you may send any donations to 563 East Main Street, Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350, care of Henry's Chapel, UMC. So this week in the lectionary is a text that is familiar to many of us. It is 1 Samuel 17, and it's the entire chapter, but I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I do encourage you to go read it for yourself, but in this chapter what we hear is that there is a stalemate. There, there is a war going on at the Valley of Elah, and on one side is the Philistines standing on the mountaintops, and on the other side of the valley is the Israelites. And neither side wants to give up ground, so they're just kind of standing there hollering at each other. It's a lot like, uh, I can remember whenever we used to play capture the flag, and you'd have that center line, and the groups would run up to each other, but nobody wanted to cross that line. It's, it's a lot of chirping and not a lot of, of doing. And then all of a sudden, Something happens. This massive Philistine comes down into the valley and he's decked out in all the best armor and he's carrying this huge javelin and he begins to challenge the entire Israelite army. He says, if you can find any man among you that will come down here and fight me, then do it. One-on-one, mano-a-mano. And in so doing, this Philistine completely emasculates the entire Israelite army. And then he realizes that they're not just going to come down there and do it on their own volition. So he begins to encourage them, tempt them, if you will. And he says, if your guy, if whoever you send down is able to kill me, then we as the Philistines will be your slaves. But if I win, then you shall be our slaves and serve us. Now, this idea, this challenge of mano y mano is not unique to the co- to war uh, or to this story. It's actually an ancient code of single combat, which is many times invoked to avoid the slaughter that would always result from ancient battles. It's, it's to cut down on the bloodshed. It's to cut down on the death that you would say, we're going to send our best warrior, you send your best warrior. Whoever wins, wins the war. And so here is this Philistine crying out, let's do this, mano y mano. And, and as they hear the sound of his voice, as they look down and see this massive man, the Israelites don't start figuring out who's going to go, but they all run to their tents, hoping that they will not be the one that's chosen. They will not, be, they will not have to suffer this humiliating and certain death at the hands of this monster that has challenged them. And even King Saul wants no part of this fight. And so this giant, this man, this Philistine does this. For 40 days he goes out and he continues to mock the Israelite army. And, but all of a sudden, there's this young boy, and this young shepherd boy, and he's sent by his dad to go check on his brothers that are in the battle, and he's sent to take them food. So the boy leaves the flock to do what his dad has asked of him. And while he's there, this challenge is issued again. And the boy has a different reaction than the rest of the army because he begins to ask around, well, what, ha- what do I get if I do this? If I go and actually battle this guy, and I- what do I get? And he begins to ask everyone that will uh, give him an answer. And he continues to ask until the king hears about this. 
And he's excited. He says, ooh, let me meet this boy because now we have somebody we can send down there and none of us have to worry about it. And then when he meets him, he goes, but, but you're just a boy. And the shepherd boy says, it's okay, it's okay, king. You don't have to feel, you and your army don't have to feel like less of a man. I'll go take care of it. But King Saul still doesn't want to be responsible for the slaughter of this young boy. The young boy essentially is trying to tell the king and, 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 and almost enrage the king into sending him down there by saying, you know, I know that y'all are afraid to do it, but I'm not. I'm no coward. So the shepherd boy says, don't feel like less of a man. I'll go fight him. And finally, as the king is still saying, I don't want to be responsible for this massacre, the shepherd begins to tell a story of how he was keeping his sheep and a lion or a bear would, have to, would come and he would have to strike them down and take care of it. But David, he makes up this tale of his prowess with wild beasts and says, this is how, what I would do is that, and he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down. This is absurd on its face. This, this story is absurd, but it's a speech that is designed to convince the king that he can dispatch of this giant. Since he is no more than just some beast in the wilderness. And the shepherd then professes that God, who was with him in the field when he would encounter these animals, will be with him now. And Saul caves and says, fine, and may God have mercy on your soul. Saul attempts to dress this young man in his best armor and giving him his best sword. And he's wanting to make sure, he's wanting to give him every opportunity that he can. But the boy says, I don't need all of this. And he goes over to the creek and he chooses five smooth stones. He walks down into the valley where the giant um, is little more than amused, to say the least. And he says... And he basically tells the young man, I will leave your carcass here for the birds and the animals to eat. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to kill you, and then I'm just going to walk away. Like, you were that insignificant to me. And so, the boy, looking at him, continues to walk down to the valley with his shepherd's staff and his sling and his rocks. And the, and the man, the Philistine, screams out, Am I like a dog that you would come with only sticks? He's, he's insulted by this young man. But the boy loads up his sling and hurls the rock, hits the giant right between the eyes, and when he is on the ground, he runs up, grabs his sword, and cuts off his head. Now we all know this story. There are few upsets in sports or politics or anywhere in our world that do not produce a reference to this story. Where the tiny shepherd boy defeated the monstrous Philistine giant. The story of David and Goliath. And this, this victory was much to the surprise and joy of those long-suffering Israelites, but it's to the shock and horror of the Philistines. The Israelites and the Philistines may have been surprised by the outcome, but one person was not, and that is David. But why is David so confident? 
Why was David so confident that he could do this when all the other Israelites were running to their tents and hiding? Why was David so confident? Well, the first thing is because God used David's time in the field to prepare him for his future. He went to battle for years in the field as we hear in his little speech protecting his family's livestock. And this prepared him for his battle with Goliath. It's not that David was stronger than the bears or lions, but that his lifestyle, the way, what he had to do, helped shape David to focus on what he needed to do. During his time in the, in the fields, David had witnessed the different inspiring land shapes, landscapes around Bethlehem. He had encountered Jesus, God, and he had encountered a relationship with God. And while taking care of the flock of the sheep through their seasons of life, he was constantly witnessing the miracles of God sustaining these sheep. And he knew that not only was God in charge of all of creation, but God loved him as well. And most importantly, the wildlife had fostered a deep sense of reliance on David. And David had fostered that deep sense of reliance on God for protection. And, and this, also, this just raises that question in my mind of how often, because I can, I, I can imagine that David is sitting here going, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been prepared for. This is why I went through all of that. And how often do we look back on our lives only to see how God had prepared us for things that we are facing now? So often in our lives we go, we find ourselves going through trials, tribulations, tough times and going, God, I don't want to do this. God, I, I just take this from me. I'm done. I quit. Only to realize that what God was doing was equipping us in those moments to encounter the things that we would in the future. Or as I once heard it said, sometimes you've got to go through some stuff to get to some stuff. And so David has made peace with this. He knows how to put his own wants and his needs and desires to the side and to, to use what it is that he know, what knows and has learned. To do that hard, unglamorous work. He's done, he knows how to do the front work so that at the end it becomes easy. That's what David does in the first part of this story. When he is being a shepherd and when he is looking after his father's sheep. And he takes the provisions of his various commanders of the army. David has made friends with this outdoor world. David has familiarized himself with all of this. He doesn't rely on the technology and on the modern advances for, or physical advantage. He knows how to keep sheep. He knows how to craft a sling. But Goliath... He has no idea about these things. He knows about his armor. He knows about how to swing a sword. He knows how to just settle on his own brute strength. He hasn't had to do any training. He hasn't had to go through the stuff that we think. And so if you want to be like David, which many of us, as we hear this story, I do find it interesting that we never find ourselves to be Goliath. We always want to be put ourselves as David in this story. And for many of us, the sad part is, is that we are Goliath. We are the ones screaming and hollering and trying to beat up on the, on the marginalized and the pushed aside and those that are deemed unworthy. But that's another sermon for another day. But if you want to be like David, ask yourself, have I surrounded my life, in my life with gadgets and comforts and appearances and armor that I've gotten, that I've forgotten 
the skills and money can't buy? Have I, have I found myself surrounding myself with the comforts of this world only to realize that what, I, what really matters is not that, but what really matters is, is learning and growing in wisdom and knowledge and doing life with, with my God. David also, not only does he know God, but he knows himself. Well, I love that when Saul assumes David should be as uh, as much like Goliath as possible, when he says, "Hey, put on this armor. Hey, put take this sword." David looks at him and goes, "That's not for me." David knows his strengths. David knows his weaknesses. He has spent a lot of time out there in the field analyzing self. He knows that he is not Goliath and he is not Saul, but he is David. And so often I think the problem in our own lives is that we find ourselves feeling burdened and heavy laden because we are trying to put on someone else's armor. We're trying to be someone else and we don't know who we authentically are. We're trying to be someone that we're not and never will be. And we so often look back and go, that just didn't work. Of course it didn't work. It's not what you were supposed to do or be. And then we need to strive to be what only we can be. Not be a second-rate version of someone else, but be the authentic self that God created us to be. And that's the beauty of the story of David and Goliath, is that David knew who he was. He knew his strengths. He knew his weaknesses. He knew what God had, had called him to, so he or called him through, so that he knew when he got to this moment how to conquer the giant. God made you the way that you are because he wanted you. And David knows there's no point in putting on Saul's armor. And Saul may find that disrespectful. He may find it say that David is taking an unnecessary risk. He may say that David's letting him down. But and and so so often what happens is it, it, to echo this in our world is when the world says this is who we need to be, and we say that's not who I'm who I am. That's not who I want to be. But that's not who I'm created to be. The world will say, well, that's just not right. Don't do that. How dare you think that? Do you think you're better than me? Who do you think you are? And here's what David would say to that as he looks at King Saul and goes. It doesn't matter what you think. I know who I am. And we need to take on that mentality as well. We need to have the the relationship with God so that we know who God created us to be. And therefore, when the world comes and says, you need to do this, this, and this, we can look and go, no, because that's not who I'm created to be. And that's the beauty of David as he goes throughout this interaction is he's been equipped throughout his life to encounter the struggles that he is encountering. And then all of a sudden, when the world says, this is how you need to go about it, David goes, no, it's not. And he knows it's not because he knows God. And he knows himself. He knows his own strengths, his own weaknesses. And that's where his power comes from. This is that underdog story that we come to know. But David realizes that if he plays Goliath's game, if he stand, that he stands no chance. And this is what we need to hear from this story as well. That if we're willing to, st- to try to encounter the world by playing the world's games, we will fail. 
Because we're not called to be of this world. We're called to be in this world, but not of this world. We're called to be kingdom bringers. We are called to play, to not play the games of the world, but to encounter and bring about the kingdom of God. To carry the rock of our salvation. You know, many people would hear this story and go, of course David's an underdog, but is he really? Or has he been, has he been, is this the moment that he has been preparing for, the moment that he's been being equipped for his entire life? He's a trained slinger as an, and as an experienced shepherd, he has been encountering lions and wolves and bears all his life. And these slings that we hear about, these aren't these slingshots that our that children carry around nowadays, but they're deadly weapons. And when he flings a rock, it's moving at approximately 100 miles an hour, and the rocks that he, we're talking about in this valley would be barium sulfate, and they're twice as dense as a regular rock. So the stopping power of this sling and rock is, that, is equivalent to that of a 45 caliber handgun. This is no little rock, little pebble, and a slingshot. But Goliath says, play by my rules. How dare you come down here with just a sling and a, and a staff? But what this story really tell, shows us is that we must not, but that we have to be willing to adapt. We have to know who we are and use our strengths, our, we, our gifts, our graces to bring about the kingdom. To, that so often when we find ourselves encountering stuff, we go, oh, well, I need to encounter it by the rules that the world puts in place. And God goes, and so often what Jesus is doing and what God is doing is he is, is they're looking at the ways in which the, the rules, if you will, that the world has put in the place and saying, those aren't the rules by which which I'm, I'm calling you to play. So David knows that if he fights the way that Goliath wants him to, he will surely die. But he changes the fight. He adapts to the challenge and is willing to because he's willing to do the work. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. He knows who he is. And he knows where his power comes from. And he trusts it. David is willing to do something that many of us in the world are afraid to do. And that is change. To face the new reality. The old way of battling, which was attack, kill, will win, no longer works for David. Because he knows this is a fight that Israel cannot win. So Israel needs to adapt. But even the king, even those in charge, say, we can't do that. He tries to address the problem in the same old, same old way. That idea of, this is the same way we've done it forever. It's got to work now. Armor, sword, and shield. And David says, no, we need to change the way in which we're doing things because if we continue to do it the same way, we will surely die. He knows. And David knows that he needs to do what God has called him and created him to do. And for many people, we are sitting idly by as our, as our churches, as our congregations, and as our own spiritual lives are dying. Because we are afraid of what may happen if we adapt and change. Goliath is right in front of him. And David comes to the reality that Goliath is not God. Goliath is the reality that's in front of him right now. 
And, and that reality is big and ugly and intimidating. But David also knows that what's in front of him isn't the end game. It's not the ultimate reality. So and what that teaches us is that when we face these enormous giants in our lives of sickness and family breakups, financial disaster, addictions, shame, etc., we oftentimes tend to lose sight of God and allow these things to dictate our lives. But what David is pointing us to is that we don't allow those things to become the gods of our lives, those controlling factors in our lives, because we may not know the future, but we know who holds the future. Whatever your view of truth, faith or no faith is, what we need to understand is that Goliath is not God. And David knows that, and so should we. That we that we don't allow our circumstances to define God, but that we let but that we search and know through a relationship with God who God is. And then we view our challenges, we view our lives, we view everything, not, not allowing our circumstances to define God, but we allow the truth that is God to define our circumstances. My friends, this what story, though it is a story, a well-known story, is a story for us to know who we are, know who God is, and to allow ourselves to use the gifts and graces to adapt and overcome the ways of this world, to stop following the ways of the world and start following the kingdom. Amen and amen.